0: Good morning. Thank you. And if you have a Bible, or if you would like to use the Bible that was provided for you, we are going to look at Luke chapter 11 this morning. Luke chapter 11. It's right there. So toward the back in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. Um... So, Tim uh, asked me if I would preach this week, and then if I would preach next week, and then if I would teach a seminar the next week, and then if I would preach the next week. So, I guess he was desperate. Um, But since I'm preaching three weeks, uh, I thought we would do like a mini-series, and we're going to look at Luke 11 uh, each of the three weeks. Um, So, let's pray, and we'll jump in. God, thanks for uh, this morning. Thank you for our time together. Thank you that you give us a reason to be together uh, and give us a reason to uh, come out on a beautiful day and uh, come to a building like this and sing and listen to somebody talk about your word. Uh, Lord, it's not just tradition. It's not just a good idea. It's so we can meet you and uh, can know you better. And we pray that that would happen this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, a little bit about me. For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name's John. I, uh, my very first ministry gig was the worship pastor at the church where Amy and Sarah uh, grew up together. So Pastor Tim's wife and Amy. Um, so uh, I endured that and decided to uh, continue in ministry and have been in ministry most of my life in various roles. Uh, right now I lead a group called the, called Intersect, and what we do is we train missionaries, especially non-traditional missionaries who are maybe from the global South, Africa, Asia, um, Latin America, or they're involved in non-traditional kinds of mission work. Um, So uh, that's pretty exciting, and that's where um, the seminar on next Saturday comes from, is from some of the work that we've been doing there. So I'd love to get to know some of you uh, after service. Uh, But right now, let's dig into God's Word, Luke 11, Uh, We'll start in verse 1. It says, Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, When you pray, say, Father. And we'll stop there. When you pray, say, Father. I was probably 13 years old uh, and living in Michigan at the time. And a friend of mine and I decided to have a bicycle camping trip. And we took all the food that we could find and uh, our sleeping bags and a tarp to cover us up with and some games and different things, and we just loaded them all on our bikes and we rode about 25 miles away from our house to where there was the campground. And being 13, it was the first time either of us had been away from our parents all alone like this you know not at summer camp or anything just totally on our own we thought you know we might get eaten by bears uh, maybe we'll get attacked by eagles maybe you know we'll have some grand adventure um, and we did we did end up not getting eaten by bears but we did end up having a grand adventure um, the very first night we strung the tarp over a clothesline and put all our stuff inside the tarp and put us inside the tarp in our, um, our uh, sleeping bags, and we fell asleep, and I woke up in the middle of the night in that kind of hazy state, you know, between sleepfulness and wakefulness, and, and my, my face was wet, and I woke up a little more, and I realized I was quite cold. This is the middle of summer, and then I realized my whole body is wet, and then I seemed to sense that water was not just dripping, but kind of cascading down onto my face. And I woke up a little bit more, and I looked and my sleeping bag was soaking, and all of our food and everything that we had packed was floating in about six inches of water. And I learned something very valuable that day. I learned tarps make terrible tents. Especially when you just drape them over a clothesline, because the clothesline has way too much give, and so the thunderstorm came rushing in both side, open sides of the tent. We didn't bring the tarp underneath it to have any kind of a floor to the tent, and the thing just sagged until water started to just come right through the tarp. It was horrible. It's a horrible, horrible way to spend a vacation. If you're ever going to camp, make sure that your tent has some structure. I wonder if some of us live lives like our tent made of tarp. You know, God has given us certain structures to build our lives on. But if we don't, sometimes even if we do, it can feel like you know, we're, we're living in a thunderstorm with no protection. We wake up one morning and we're underwater. Maybe we're underwater financially. Maybe we're underwater in a relationship. Maybe we're underwater, you know, who knows what it is. But we just, we're out of control. Things aren't working for us. Circumstances are against us. I want to talk the next, uh, today, next week, and then two weeks from then, I want to talk about prayer. Because prayer is one of the foundational structures that God has given us to have in our lives to provide us with a foundation. So when the thunderstorm comes, when the tent isn't holding up, when everything around us is dripping wet, when we don't have anywhere else to turn, we can have something to hold on to. And if you're anything like me, you pray. In fact, a huge percentage of the world prays. A huge percentage of Americans pray. But most Americans feel like they don't pray enough. And most Americans feel like they don't really know how to pray or what to pray. So this morning I want to talk about prayer, and we'll talk about just this one word. We'll start talking about just this one word, Father. Because when Jesus taught us to pray, he said, when you pray, pray this, Father. And I think that word is one of the reasons why we don't pray as much as we would like to. Father. Father. Jesus used the word father as if God was father to the disciples. And this would have been shocking for them, because in ancient Israel, you didn't call God your father. God was father to Israel as a group, but not father to you as a person. In fact, Jesus got into a lot of trouble for calling his father. But he says to pray, father. And I don't know about you, but for me, I get my view of God all confused sometimes with my view of my earthly father. My view of my earthly father is colored by the glasses of my experience. And it's like my experiences with my earthly father and not just my earthly father, but other authority figures in my life, like they've written in uh, permanent marker across those lenses. Absent, mean, forgetful, judgmental, abusive. You feel in your own. What have your authority figures been like in your own life? It can be hard to trust God who we can't see if we have any trust issues with our earthly fathers who we have seen. And so when Jesus says, pray, Father, we need to ask, what is he saying? What is he saying about God as our Father that we should uh, respond to in a positive way? So, So Israel heard God as Father. The disciples would have heard God as Father. And they would have thought, first of all, of creation. That God as Father is the creator. He created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that shows that God is really, really powerful. And really, really big. And power on its own can be really scary. But then they would have also heard the word father and they would have thought of the word deliverer. Because God chose Abraham to be the father of his people and hundreds of years later Abraham's or eh, probably hundreds of years later Abraham's descendants go to Egypt hundreds of years after that they're still in Egypt they've been fruitful they've multiplied but now they're prisoners in Egypt they're slaves there and God delivers them and it's a it's a stake in the ground of God saying I will be who I will be I will be your father, Israel. I will be your deliverer. No human power, even though Pharaoh was probably the the greatest human power on earth at the time, no human power can stand in the way of me doing what I will do for you. I am your deliverer. I love you. I'm gracious and compassionate to you. So they would have seen God as creator and as deliverer, and then they would have seen him as provider, provider. As for 40 years, they wandered around in the wilderness because of their stupidity and sin. God led them to the promised land. They had the opportunity to go in. They said, No, we're scared. So He led them around in the wilderness for 40 years, but He still provided for them. He provided food, He provided clean water, He provided so their sandals didn't even wear out. He provided everything they needed in the wilderness. In spite of their sin, they didn't deserve it. And then they would have heard faithful. After 40 years, God brings the next generation to the promised land and says, Look, I've given you this land. Go in and take it. And they do. They go in and they fight battle after battle after battle. And we read about that in the book of Joshua. And at the end of the book of Joshua, the author says, Not one of God's precious promises fails. Everything God promised to do, he did. He was faithful. So this amazing creator God who also loves and delivers them and also provides for them is faithful to do every single thing that he promised. He can be counted on even when the chips are down. This is what the apostles would have heard when they heard Father. Power, deliverance, love. Faithfulness. You see, who you pray to is really important. We have this idea in society that prayer is good just because it's prayer, right? You have to have faith in faith, people say. Well, that's kind of goofy. Why would I have faith in faith? It's not my faith that does anything. It's the object of my faith. It's not my prayers that do anything. It's not like abracadabra, be healed, or abracadabra, you know, have everything that you need. It's not magic, the power is in the person to whom I pray. And so we need to know who we are praying to. And I know you guys did a series uh, last year or the year before on the names of God. And that's what we need. We need to know the names of God from Scripture. We need to understand and see through the lenses of Scripture rather than through the lenses of our earthly relationships. And when we do, we can pray Father, and it can be a wonderful experience thinking about the God who created the universe, loves me enough to adopt me as his child, invites me into the heavenly cosmic throne room, even if I spent all day sinning, and wants me to call him Father. Father, he says, what is prayer? Prayer is a way of building a relationship. It's a way of building a relationship. First and foremost, that's what prayer is about. It's not about getting what we want. It's not even about getting what we need. It's certainly not about impressing God. He knows us too well for that. It's about building a relationship with the triune God and standing firm on who he is and what he said and what he does. Prayer builds a relationship. Let's look further. He says, Father. Then he says, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Number one, prayer builds a relationship. But number two, prayer builds a reputation. Prayer builds a reputation. Hallowed be your name. Now, we don't go around using the word hallowed all that often, unless we're talking about the hallowed halls. Hallowed simply is a word that means set apart, or, or holy, right? So we're asking God to set apart his name, to show that it's holy. We're asking God to ensure that his name is rightly respected. God, ensure that your name is rightly respected. Hallowed be your name. When I was a kid, I used to play sandlot baseball. I don't know if you've ever played like pickup baseball games. And uh, there was an interesting um, uh, thing that used to happen that whoever was up to bat, the people that were in the field would either come really close to home plate if they thought the guy couldn't hit at all, or they would move way back because they didn't want to, the ball to go over their heads. Right? And so they, they were respecting the talent of the person at bat or disrespecting it, as the case may be. When we pray, hallowed be your name, what we're saying is, God, you could hit a homer a hundred times out of a hundred times. Remind people of that. Don't let them disrespect your name. Don't let people disrespect who you are. Be true to your name. Be true to your uh, promises. And and we've got some skin in that game because uh, Isaiah says, or Jeremiah maybe, one of those guys, he says that, You have called me by your name, Lord of hosts. I'm pretty sure it's Isaiah, but I didn't write it down. You can look it up later and tell me which one it was. You have called me, he says, by your name, Lord of hosts. And he's called us by his name. Right? He's called us by the name of Jesus. He's adopted us into his family so we can call him Father. In fact, he has bounded us to Jesus. We are forever... One with Christ. Hallowed be your name. Because your name deserves to be hallowed. And because we've got some skin in the game too. And we want our Father's name to be hallowed. And and the issue really is this is God who he says he is or not? All the promises he makes in this book, are they true? Or not? All that God said actually happened, did it actually happen? Or not? Will God do for you what he has said he will do for you? Or not? In Second Chronicles, Solomon built the temple to God, this huge, ornate building, and he does a prayer of dedication, and part of that, prayer. He says this, God, when foreigners come to this place to pray to you, answer their prayers so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you. That's hallowed be your name kind of praying. Lord, do what you said you would do. Fulfill your promise. Answer the prayers of your people in order that people will know that you are God and there is no other God. Prayer builds a reputation. So I have to ask myself, how often do I pray prayers for my own comfort rather than prayers for God's reputation? How often do I pray, God, please heal me because I've got a man cold? How often do I pray that God will heal Aunt Lulu's broken leg or, you know, God, make the sermon go well. I don't want to embarrass myself. You know how it is, right? We all pray those kinds of prayers. There's nothing necessarily wrong with those prayers. But if that's the sum total of what we pray... Then we're kind of living on prayer's version of cotton candy. Right? Prayer builds a relationship, prayer builds a reputation. What does God want to do to show himself to be God? Whose reputation am I building? Why am I praying? That leads us to point three. He says, Father, hallowed be your name. And then he says, Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Prayer builds a relationship. Prayer builds a reputation. Prayer builds a kingdom. The king reigns. He does. Jesus reigns over everything. There's no question about that. I mean, there can be questions, but he does reign. He doesn't always exert his reign in the present time. Bad things still happen to good people. The world is still a broken place, a difficult place. Sin still happens. Sickness still happens. And it's not because God is necessarily judging us. It's just we're living in a fallen world. But the day will come when Jesus exerts his reign fully and everything becomes as he designed it. Those who need to be judged are judged. Sin is cast out of the world. The tempter is put away forever. Everything is made new, including us. And everything will be as it should be. But right now we live in this kind of in-between times, kind of the the Celts uh, used to call it like the time between times, right? When you're not quite asleep, you're not quite awake. It's not quite daytime, it's not quite nighttime, right? The sun is rising, it's starting to get brighter, but you can't see, actually see the sun yet. You know, you're becoming awake, you're aware of some things, but you're still kind of living in dreamland, the time between times. We kind of live in the time between times when it comes to God's kingdom, When Jesus came, he inaugurated the kingdom with his death, resurrection, ascension, and the giving of the Holy Spirit. So the kingdom is here, but it's not fully here. He's not exerting that authority in every situation. And so we have a part to play in building that kingdom and praying your kingdom come. What would it look like if God's kingdom came in your life? fully and totally and completely. What would it look like for your children, for your spouse, for your um, co-workers, for your boss, for that neighbor that's just really annoying? We live in an apartment that's above a dog groomer. Enough said. (laughs) We love our dog groomer neighbors, but sometimes those dogs Oh but what would it look like for God's kingdom to come in their business? What would that look like? Now we know when God fully exerts his authority and and the kingdom has come, we know that everything will be perfect, right? There will be no sorrow, there will be no tears, there will be no fear, there will be no um, suffering, there will be no sickness. But in this time between times... Here's how I think God wants us to pray. Your kingdom come. I think he wants us to ask, God, how is your kingdom coming in this person's life? What are you at work doing? Because it's not always the simple answer. God, please heal them. There's no sickness in heaven, and so please heal them. Now, you can pray for healing. I pray for healing. I believe God can heal. I also believe sometimes God doesn't heal. And he usually doesn't tell me why. So to pray your kingdom come doesn't necessarily mean to pray for perfection in someone's life. Because one of the reasons that God has left us here on earth after we come to Jesus is he's forming us into the people who he designed us to be. And he often uses suffering to do that. And so you look at Joseph. Joseph is sold by his brothers into slavery. He's falsely accused in Egypt. He's sent to prison. Imagine if that happened to one of our brothers overseas today. I have some clients who are in difficult places in the world, and I help them uh, in their missionary work. And if they all of a sudden ended up in prison, my instinct would be to pray to get them out of prison. And I would probably come to Tim, Pastor Tim in this church, and say, we need to start a 24-hour prayer vigil until they're released. But what did God do with Joseph? He left him in prison for a long time. There's a guy who wrote a book called The Insanity of God and he asks, how long do we leave God or do we leave Joseph in prison? And this calls for discernment, doesn't it? It calls for asking God, what do you want me to pray in this person's life? Because it could be that the best thing to pray is not for release from prison. I don't know that Paul ever asked to be released from prison. Like, please pray for my release. On the other hand, the believers were praying earnestly for Peter's release, and an angel came and let him out of jail. I think John the Baptist would have liked to be released from prison based on the exchange between his followers and Jesus. Instead, he got beheaded. God works in different ways with different people. So what does it mean to pray God's kingdom come in this in-between phase? I think what it means is to pray in such a way that in eternity the person will be thankful that you prayed the way you did. So in eternity, I will be glad that God said no to some of my prayers because he had a better way. It may have been a more painful way, but in the long run, it was better. And he was doing something way better than I could have guessed. In, in eternity, I'll be thankful for that. And I will thank God for, for allowing me to endure certain things. James says, consider it all joy, right, when you, um, when you suffer. Because you know that this brings about per- perseverance. Perseverance brings about full maturity. And so to pray God's kingdom come means to to lean into what God is doing in a person's life and to say, God, what does it mean for me to pray this for a person? What are you doing? Do they need more maturity? Do they need more faith? Maybe they don't need anything, but the world around them needs to see how a strong believer suffers in faith and doesn't give up and is still kind and prays for those who persecute them. I don't know. It's different for every person. But it brings a whole different dynamic to our prayer lives. When we don't just do the knee-jerk and say, I'm going to pray for comfort, I'm going to pray for peace, I'm going to pray for healing, I'm going to pray for release, I'm going to pray for more money. None of those things are necessarily bad. You can pray for those things if God leads you to. But let's not stop there. Let's build a kingdom. Let's pray kingdom-building prayers. Prayer is one of those things that we all know we should do and most of us feel guilty that we don't do it enough.
1: Evangelism is also one
0: of those things we all know we should do and most of us feel guilty because we don't believe we do it enough. So, aren't you glad I'm here to talk about both prayer and evangelism? But there needn't be guilt. Instead, let's let there be a feeling of invitation. How is it that the God who created the universe invites us into his throne room? It's interesting to me that Luke puts this event of the Lord's Prayer right after the story of Mary and Martha. You can read that. It starts in Luke ten thirty eight. Uh, you can read that later. But... Jesus goes to Mary and Martha's house, and Mary sits at Jesus' feet listening. Martha is all concerned about being busy and doing stuff. And she complains to Jesus, tell my sister to help me. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're concerned with many things. Mary has chosen what's best, to sit at my feet. And especially living in America, how often do we just get so busy? And busy at good things, right? Busy for Jesus, busy doing stuff for the church, busy going to Bible study, busy whatever. And we just don't do the one thing that's needful. And then all of a sudden we find out we're underwater. And we wish we had built a better foundation built better structures before. Let's encourage one another to love and good deeds. Let's encourage each other to pray, and to pray with wisdom and depth, and to pray, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Let's pray together. Thank you, God.